today, obviously, uh, I want to talk about white flaky skin (laughs) and the hair that grows from it. I thought that before, uh, before we go to Africa, we should give a practical guide to leprosy, boils, other peeling skin conditions. And uh, we could just listen to that all day, right? We could just... Seriously, before we leave for Africa tomorrow, I, I want to talk about leadership. I want to speak about it in the context of our community here, where we are currently, where we are going. I want to introduce you to somebody and uh, lay out a path. So I'm speaking in broad strokes about how we are all affected. And uh, Leviticus is a little bit of our backdrop. I have a friend who had a bout with skin cancer. This, um, this kind of rash appeared on his face. And he didn't know what it was. He had no experience with it. And after, after about eight months, he finally went to the doctor. And the doctor said, we need to run some tests on this. And it turned out that it was cancerous. And so he had to go through the procedure of, of having it removed and it being healed. A couple of years later, another little rash appeared on his face and he didn't think anything of it. It was different than the first time. He waited a couple of months and then he thought, I probably should get this checked out. So we went back to the doctor and immediately the doctor looked at it and said, we have to do tests immediately. This is cancerous. This is back. And so he had to go through the procedure again. She knew the doctor right away what she was looking at. She knew right away because she had seen it before. She knew right away because she was trained to see it. She knew right away because her instincts were telling her and her giftings were telling her what it was. She knew right away she was dealing with skin cancer again. We need experts in our lives to help us identify and sort through potentially hazardous circumstances. In this day and age, we have all kinds of experts. We have heart experts. We have pain specialists. We have depression specialists. We have blood experts. We have an expert and a specialist for just about every human condition. In Leviticus, we read today about the priests and their role in helping people identify the hazards in their lives. In this time, they didn't have the assortment of experts that we do today. It was the priest. And the New Testament, as the New Testament is being written, things have started to change. So for example, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were all written by a doctor. So things have started to shift. 
But now that we've shifted all the way to the place where there's an expert for everything, who's the specialist that's supposed to identify the potential hazards of the soul? Who's the specialist? Let's go to the book of Hebrews, if you have your Bible, to the 13th chapter, and we're going to look at three verses in the 13th chapter of Hebrews real quick. The 7th verse, the 17th verse, and the 24th verse. Beginning at verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And then verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. The writer of Hebrews is very direct all throughout the entire book. We're told to listen to our leaders and consider their lives. In the Anglican tradition that this church is a part of, they wouldn't be a leader unless they went through um, unbelievable scrutiny. Trust me. Unbelievable scrutiny is given to an Anglican priest or deacon. The book of Hebrews says, imitate their faith. And I'm not trying... You'll see in a minute. (laughs) This isn't a discussion about me. This is about me for a minute. Imitate their faith. They're keeping... Watch over your very soul as one who must stand before God and give account. For most of my life, and I grew up in the church as a pastor's son, I have watched people contort themselves into every conceivable position possible to wriggle their way into spiritual leadership. It's a fascinating thing to watch. People will do just about anything to get into spiritual leadership once they've become a believer. And the irony is, there's no upside unless you're called. If you are a spiritual leader and you're not called and you're just getting into leadership so that you can look like you're a strong Christian or so that you can get lots of affirmation and power from it, You're going to give an account before God for the souls that you are over. If you are in it for the wrong reason, you are toast. There's no possible way to succeed. So who would possibly want to do this? The 24th verse of Hebrews chapter 13 that we just read, the writer makes a delineation. When the greeting is given to the leaders and the saints. We're not all called to be leaders in the body of Christ. America is hyper-focused on leadership. It starts right in school and goes all the way through your life. If you are not a leader, you are not 
anything. If you cannot lead something, you don't really have any value at all. This is the message we're giving, but this is not the message in the culture of the Bible. And this is not the culture of the kingdom. When I was in the ordination process, it was pounded, pounded into me. This is not the bottom rung of a ladder you get to climb. This is the top rung of a ladder you get to walk down. And so when you're ordained a deacon, you walk down a few notches and become a willing servant of God's people. And if you're going to be ordained into the priesthood, then you've got to climb down a lot more and sign up to be a slave of the body of Christ. I was binding myself to God's church and his body in the world. There are plenty of biblical examples of great men in the Bible who were not leaders. For example, Paul and Silas, right? Paul and Barnabas. Paul could have never done what he did without Barnabas probably, but Barnabas, as we... as there's no reference in Scripture that Barnabas was ever a deacon, a priest, and anything but a servant of Paul. Timothy, the protege of Paul. Paul did lay his hands upon him and commission him, but much, much later in his life. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was a deacon, but he wasn't called to the priesthood and he, was, he, he martyred himself. If you read his testimony and the account of the martyrdom of Stephen, he did it to himself, basically. He martyred himself for the cause of Christ. He wasn't a significant leader, and yet his name echoes down the halls of the church's history as the first Christian martyr. Ephesians chapter 4 the Apostle Paul lays out the body of Christ in saying that we are all part of one whole and it takes all of us to be any of it. And so nobody gets to say, I don't need any other part and we shouldn't be looking to try to be something that we're not because we're all individually placed, irreplaceable in the body. It takes us all to be what we are. It won't work any other way. And Paul also identifies different offices in the church for different reasons. They're functions of the body, but they're not meant to be something that you aspire to. They're something that you are called to, you are placed in, you are designed for. So we've listened to the writer of Hebrews. We've listened to the Apostle Paul. Let's go to the Apostle Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll read the first seven verses. So I exhort the elders, priests, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not 
for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, the priests, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourselves, therefore. Right, this isn't some leader's job to come. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is one of the most sobering scriptures in all of the Bible for a person like me because it's written to me and it's giving me instructions that I absolutely do not feel equipped to live up to. And it's asking me to do things that were not charted out on my things to do before you die list. And yet it's promising me what I want more than anything in the whole world. So that I can be crystal clear on where we've come to so far. My role is to shepherd the flock willingly, exercising oversight as God would have me. Not for my own gain. And I assure you, I've lived up to that one so far. Not domineering, but as an example. And I've tried my very, very best to be that man described here. I want to receive the unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears. When the real deal shows up, I want to have represented him well. You see, in the church's long history, whether priest or pastor or whatever you want to call it, an elder, whatever your tradition, doesn't matter. Throughout church history, a pastor's role, in part, is to be the representative of Christ to the church. And anyone who thinks they have a shot at doing that to be a representative, an icon of Christ to the church, anyone who thinks they have a shot at doing that in their own strength, without completely dying to themselves before they step on any stage and speak to God's people, is utterly foolish. This is why there is the stole. I know no, none of us just about come from these traditions where we use these things. When I put this on, and a lot of ministers put it on as they preach, when I put this on as we come to the Lord's table, I'm not trying to symbolize to you some kind of magic power that has just come upon me. This is a yoke. 
Throughout church history, this is a yoke. What I'm saying to God and to you is, I am a servant mule. I'm standing in for Jesus right now. And I'm trying my best to disappear here so that Christ in me can come forth and we can have this moment of communion with our brothers and sisters and with the Holy Spirit. And I'm yoking myself to Christ and saying, this is nothing that I hear of my own will I say. Only what you do will I say. And this is why we follow the liturgy. Because it's what Jesus said. So anyone who thinks they can get up here and just wing it and say, yeah, I can be the representative of Jesus Christ to the church in their own strength is... is It's foolish. But there are instructions to all of us in this posture of community outlined in Scripture. Listen to your elders, the priests. Wear the clothing of humility toward each other. God opposes the proud. Grace is for the humble. And the biggest statement of all, humble then yourselves. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, he will lift you up. The idea of the Four Winds mission was to create a place that is safe, a harbor, a beacon, Mimi sent me a text this week saying, I just have this feeling about a beacon, and she's so right, because that's what the Lord spoke in the first place. A beacon flashing out over the darkness to people who are tossed in the storms of the life of isolation. Direction, home, we've done this. But what we've done so far, we've done largely because there is no agenda. We don't have any benchmarks in place that show us how well we're doing. There's nothing. There's no chart. There's no pie graph. There's no nothing that would indicate how well we're doing. I didn't want any of that in here from the word go. And yet, no matter how hard we try, we absolutely must realize that there are parameters that will keep us vibrant or, if we step outside of them, will eventually kill us. There are lines of authority and postures of heart that have to be present for this to succeed. And it ultimately boils down to our posture of humility and willingness to serve each other. There's no other way. When I came to understand that God was calling me to be a pastor, not just a pastor, but to swim in this stream called Anglican, something that I had no experience with other than learning about it in church history, in the seminary, I took a very long time to discern this. I never thought about being a priest before. I never thought about wearing a stole before. I definitely never thought about putting on a clerical collar before. 
Maybe for Halloween. This is all new territory. So when Jill and I felt like God was telling us to do this, we took it very seriously. And what I fell in love with was rooting something new in an ancient faith faith that was battle-tested. My longtime pastor gave a word of prophecy to me more than a decade ago. He said, you will build something new next to something old. And that's what we're doing here. But in doing it, I wanted to be a man under authority. I didn't want to be a guy with an idea just making it up as we went along. I wanted to be submitted to authority. The bishop that had ordained me to the diaconate and then to the priesthood told me that I have nothing to offer but my brokenness. He said, no matter how good of a strategic planner you might be, no matter what kind of a visionary you might be, no matter how much charisma you might have, no matter how many people you have listening to you, no matter what other talents you have, the only thing you really have is your weakness because it's only in your weakness that Christ is strong and you are a stand-in for Christ. You are being set aside by the church to represent Jesus. All you have is your weakness. You can go a little ways on your talent, but it's not going to get the job done. Becoming a rock star speaker is nothing more than that. It doesn't do anything. So this is all I have to offer. I believed him when he said that. So will I get it wrong? Pretty sure I will. Pretty sure I have. Pretty sure I will again. How do you know that I'm not crazy, though? How do you know that I'm not manipulative? Manipulation is when I use my authority to do something that benefits me. Proper authority is when I use my authority to do something that benefits you, no matter how hard it is. The truth is that coming under authority is scary. And the irony is, most of the people that are with us today, virtually, and a lot of us in here have plenty of stories to tell about how we've been hurt and even abused by spiritual leaders in the past. But there's greater in danger. There is greater danger in not coming under any authority at all than the wounds of the past. I am a man under authority. A congregation is submitted to one another and their elders are priests. An ordained deacon is in submission to his priest. A priest is under the authority of a pastor to priests, a bishop. A bishop is under the authority to a pastor of bishops, known as an archbishop. And we are all under authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. In our tradition, the Anglican tradition, 
we honor the tradition of apostolic succession. The tradition is that the apostle Peter laid his hands on somebody and commissioned them. And so on and so forth, on down to this very day. And through the Anglican Church and the Anglican Mission in America and through the Anglican province of Rwanda, we can trace this heritage. The Apostle Peter laid his hands upon and ordained Linus in 67 A.D., who laid hands upon and ordained Cletus in 76 A.D., who in turn ordained Clement in 88 A.D., And we can trace 177 names to the ordination of our current bishop. So is the point, again, that there's some kind of mystical power that happens in apostolic succession and there's magic that happens through the laying on of these hands? That's not the point at all. The point is that our church, from the very, very beginning, from the Apostle Peter, has honored the submission to the authority of those over them, as Christ outlined and the Apostle Paul admonished us. So I want to introduce you to somebody, but I have to give you a little story first. Our bishop to this point has been T.J. Johnston. He was the first priest in the United States to come under the spiritual authority of a bishop in Rwanda. He was the very first consecrated missionary priest from Rwanda to the United States. He's a big shot. You wouldn't know it. He doesn't act like it. But he's kind of like a real, true church hero because he lost everything when he did that. He lost everything. So he's been our bishop to this point. He's the one that saw the vision for Four Winds, affirmed it, and ordained me. TJ's decided to retire his Episcopal duties, which Episcopal duties means exactly that, the laying on of hands and ordaining deacons and priests, confirmation, traveling around, being a pastor to the priests under his authority. He's planting a church in South Carolina, and he's doing an incredible and increasing amount of work in Haiti. So he's retiring from this. I learned of this in late May. The way that the Anglican mission is structured is unlike some other things. It's done by affinity. So we were not just assigned another bishop that we didn't know who would just show up in here some Sunday and say, I'm now assuming control over this church, and Brian is kicked out. So we started praying. And one name kept coming to the surface, and only one name. And so I went to Los Angeles last week to meet with and come under the spiritual authority of our new bishop, Todd Hunter. And um, with our problems, you can see that Todd actually has some skin conditions of his own. (laughs) Bishop Todd was the national director for the Association of Vineyard Churches. 
responsible for overseeing the planting of 5,000 churches serving under John Wimber. He's been the president of Alpha, one of the most successful evangelism tools in the modern era, responsible for millions of people coming to know Jesus. He's got a master's in biblical studies from Regent University, a doctorate of ministry from George Fox University. He's an adjunct professor of evangelism and postmodern ministry at George Fox University, Fuller Seminary, Western Seminary, and Wheaton College. He's the author of Christianity Beyond Belief, Giving Church Another Chance, and The Outsider Interviews. He's also the founding director of churches for the sake of others. And truly, that's just getting going. But what impressed me most, what was the absolute confirmation, what was the linchpin for me, was that in sitting with him and asking him, what he would like to happen and what changes he would like to see as we came under his spiritual authority was that he said, I don't know. Let's let the Holy Spirit tell us. In my conversation with him, he didn't have to show me who he was. He said, I don't know a lot. He didn't need to reframe what I was saying to make some point to make himself look good. He didn't care. What he wanted was to accept and receive us, to serve us, and to protect us because he's walked down one more, one more rung on the ladder. And so he is now our bishop here at Four Winds. I've served under two bishops. They have each spoke something profound to me without knowing that it was like a trajectory-changing statement. TJ spoke to me of offering my brokenness rather than trying to wing it on my talent or strengths. Todd, in speaking to a room of about seven church-planning priests the other week at a Churches for the Sake of Others meeting, he said, Guys, I know you're tired. I know this is hard. I know you're tired. But you must father what you've sired. And so that's what I'm here to do. To shepherd the flock that is here. And in doing that, I want to close with a couple final words. Tomorrow... Jill and I and Jason will climb aboard a plane and 23 hours later we will land in Kigali, Rwanda. We'll meet Mike Greenberg in Kigali and embark on a mission that has many goals. Goals for the Anglican mission as a national movement. Goals for the Daily Audio Bible. Goals for the Four Winds mission. For the Anglican mission And for the Daily Audio Bible, we're finishing something that was started last year, an infrastructure laid in Rwanda that we can take people once a year to that country. Because although our spiritual heritage comes from Rwanda, Rwanda is a place in revival. The horrors of the genocide in 1994 
allow an American to see evil face to face in a way that we've never seen before. It also allows us to see what redemption looks like in ways that we have never seen before. So Rwanda is in revival, largely because another generation has come up with terrible bitterness over losing their parents, over losing their siblings, and they don't know what to do with the anger. And so they can only turn to reconciliation and forgiveness. And that can only be done through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the country is in revival, and we want to take as many people as we can. It will show an American just how soft we are. It will show us that most of the things that we absolutely freak out about are minor discomforts. So we're building and finishing what we started a year ago. We'll be participating in Daily Audio Bible family gatherings. We've been on this little mad rush through the summer. We had a Daily Audio Bible family gathering in Chicago two weeks ago. Then last week in Los Angeles. We'll have one in Nairobi, Kenya. One in Cape Town, South Africa. And one in Amsterdam on the way home. We'll fellowship with those who are part of what we're doing here, virtually. And it's amazing to do, but in a very real way, we are all here because of what God started there on the internet. Because what I saw over five years before we planted this place was an ecumenical community, an interdenominational community with every single tradition represented and every flavor you can imagine and every theological position that you can imagine and all kinds of brokenness from all kinds of wounds, all coming together for the same reason, to center itself around the Word of God. That idea of community centered around the Word of God is what birthed the dream of the Four Winds mission. For Four Winds, I believe very specifically that the Holy Spirit is inviting us to look at how people with nothing do so much with no resources. Because what we like to do is throw money at stuff. I don't believe that's what our posture is supposed to be at Four Winds. When I return, a number of announcements will be given to flesh out and cast vision for the coming year. We're in our 10th month of worship. In some ways, it feels like five years. In some ways, it feels like two weeks. We're in our 10th month of worship together. Churches aren't supposed to grow in the summertime. Ours did. And it sent me into prayer to say, okay, well, I wasn't planning on making any moves right now. When we planted this church we felt like the Lord was saying the first year is all about building community. Nothing more than that. Building authentic, solid, foundational community. And so in everything that we've done, 
everything has been aimed at building community. So as we've bursted a little bit, it's sent me to prayer, and I believe in prayer. I was given two metaphors. And the first, I see a superhighway running across the land. Next to that superhighway is this little service road that runs across adjacent to the superhighway. Next to the service road is a walking path cutting across the countryside. That's our path. We're not supposed to get into our air-conditioned vehicles and speed along as fast as we can to get to where we're going. We're supposed to walk there. We're supposed to get there, the scenic route. So we're never going to ever do what's the most obvious thing. That's not what we're called to do. In fact, we're trying to do just about none of the obvious things. Here's why. I've never seen them work. So we'll walk. But we'll get there if we stay together. The other metaphor was of drying cement. When we we launched worship, like I just said, it was all about community. And as we've grown in certain areas, the obvious thing to do is go, well, we need to react to this. And as I prayed about that, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, the cement is not dry. Your foundation is not set. One year is about building community. We are not there yet. We have two months to go, and I believe there are a lot of things we need to learn. So we're not going to be reacting to things. This having to be upon each other and in each other's business and in close quarters and kind of put up with things, this is about building community. What we want is to not be disrupted. We just want our own personal experience with God, thank you very much, and our American, we deserve it sort of way. That's not how our spiritual heritage is in Rwanda. That's not how the early church was. So, here it is. Let's live it out. Our foundation is not set. But it will be. And when it is, we'll put the floor down. We'll put up some walls. We'll have a roof someday. It'll just be a walk instead of a sprint. September 25th will be our one-year anniversary Sunday. I believe between now and then, God's going to do some things that will release us into the next season. And I believe what the next year is going to look like is that now we've got a community. Time to live it. Time to not talk about it. Time to live it. So, we're bursting but the only area that I feel God is challenging us to address is that of our toddlers, which is the one thing we felt like the Lord was giving us from the get-go. When I planted, well, I, when we planted this, I was terrified that if we don't have a vibrant children's ministry, we'll never get off the ground. What I found is that's not true at all. Not at all. So, we'll get where we're going. When I return from Africa, I'll be laying out some of the ways I believe God is inviting us to grow. 
and some of them might be a little uncomfortable, but they will be obvious, and we will follow the outline of leadership I've given today. We're going to take the scenic path, not the obvious road. So I'm asking you to please be in prayer about that while I am gone. So as I prepare to step off this stage and leave you for the other side of the world, I wanted to tell you that I love you. And no matter our growing pains, we're aboard a ship that's going somewhere special. I believe that. We're not merely planting a church here. We're cutting a new path. We're trying to do something that's never worked. I believe that's pretty special. We're not just Americans who have been hurt, so we're banding together to be safe. We're missionaries. Commissioned to preach the gospel to those who are dying. And we will get there if we get there together. And to stay together, we must humbly serve one another no matter what it costs. The cost is higher than our opinion or our discomforts. Our faith has got to be deeper than skin deep. And to find out what's wrong, we have to submit ourselves to each other. So the metaphor holds true from the book of Leviticus. If we have a boil, if we have flaky skin, if we have funky hair growing from the flaky skin, we can help each other. We're meant for each other. We can heal each other. God's given us to each other. And I can't wait to see where that goes. So as we trust one another, and as the person for this season given this unbelievable task of charting a course, I ask that you trust that I want nothing more than to see that this ship finds land. And as we move to the Lord's table, I want to challenge you with this. For weeks you see nothing but the horizon. Perfect and empty. You live in the grip of fear. Fear of storms. Fear of sickness on board. Fear of the immensity. So you must drive that fear down deep into your belly. Study your charts. Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind and hope. Pure, naked, fragile. Hope. Ready to be asked you from the court of waiting. Let them wait. Go on, Mr. Raleigh. You were hoping? At first, it's no more than a haze on the horizon.
So you watch. You watch. And as a smudge, a shadow in the far water, for a day, for another day, the stain slowly spreads along the horizon taking form until on the third day you let yourself believe you dare to whisper the word land land life resurrection a true adventure out of the vast unknown, out of the immensity, into new life. That, your majesty, is the new world. Father, we come before you. Thanking for you for your grace in our lives. We ask, Father, that we find the land meant for us. And that we hope in you. <laughs>